when I spoke with Bob a week and a half ago about what this message might focus on, he said, well, along with all the other good news that there is in Jesus, one major focus surely must be suffering. Now that may not surprise you in view of everything we've just read, uh, but it might surprise you if you were to wonder, is that gonna be encouraging for us who remain? Is it gonna be a fitting tribute to Nancy? But as you heard at the end of Bob's eulogy, we've been together for a long time, 40 years. He knows what I'm going to say. We didn't consult about it. We just have lived together for a long time. He's heard a lot of sermons. I think there are words that you spoke were true. So this is not a gamble on his part to say, why don't you talk about suffering? He doesn't want me to make anything up. Like he's not saying, hey, come give us some nice thoughts. You, you're, you could be a creative person and just say some nice thoughts about Nancy and suffering. That's not what he wants and that's not what I am called to do. We believe here and Bob believes all the way down that this is the only source of authority I have to say anything. God's word, the scriptures. And so you, the listeners, should test all things and hold fast to what is good and true. I don't have anything to say about suffering. God has a lot to say about suffering. And all of it for the children of God is helpful and encouraging. So I want to talk about six aspects of suffering. I want to talk about the origin of suffering. I want to talk about the duration of suffering, the mystery of suffering, the death of suffering, and the final hours of Nancy's suffering. The origin. The first verse in the Bible is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The capstone of that creation, according to the account in Genesis, was man as male and female in his own image. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And when he had finished, he said this, God saw everything that he had made and said, it is very good. There was no suffering. There was no evil as God created the world. Then in chapter three, of Genesis comes the moral catastrophe of sin. 
It has been our unhappy birthright ever since. Sin, I wonder how you would define it. Sin is the inclination of the human heart to find God undesirable. It is the bent of the human heart to replace his authority with my authority. Thank you. And it is the inclination of the heart to prefer his creation over him as sin. One tree, one tree out of thousands of lush, satisfying trees. A garden abounding in good for his creatures. The one tree should not eat of the knowledge of good and evil is the one they wanted. And they looked at the tree and saw that it was good for food, a delight to the eyes, desirable to make one wise, and they ate, and suffering entered the world. The peaceful relationship with God collapsed into fear and shame. The beautiful relationship between man and woman collapsed into selfishness and scapegoating. The unique spheres of each of their lives was penetrated with pain. To the woman, in pain you shall bring forth children. To the man, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. All of nature fell into futility. The world we see around us with its mixed beauty and horror originated on that day horrible train crashes in India, little plane crashes that nobody quite understands outside Washington, a dam bursting and putting thousands of homes under water in Ukraine, and on and on and on, and Nancy's death, six years younger than me, millions of other sorrows, while this funeral is happening, 6,500 people will die in the world. And Paul puts it like this, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all because all sinned. But be careful. None of that means that there's a one-to-one -one correlation between anybody's particular sins and anybody's particular sufferings. Some of the most godly, wise, loving, righteous people suffer most. And some of the most wicked people suffer least. Suffering is the trumpet blast that there is such a thing as sin in the world. Suffering is the cry 
of the world, that the broken physical order is a shout, that there's a broken moral order. Nancy's suffering was not correlated to Nancy's sin. It doesn't work like that. She was a godly and good woman. The duration of sin. For those who embrace the reconciliation with the God from whom we're alienated, for those who embrace the reconciliation in Christ, suffering will have an end. It will have an end. It has had an end. The Apostle Paul, as we have just heard, reached back to the futility that entered the world in the garden and, and looked forward to the day when the curse would be lifted and he wrote, I'll read it again, part of it. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That is spectacular. Who are these children of God for whom all creation is waiting for their glorification before it gets fixed? Who are they? Galatians 4 describes how we become children of God. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And then John 1.11 tells us how it happens. Jesus came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But to those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So children of God are people who see Jesus Christ as son of God, savior, redeemer, and receive him as the supreme treasure of their lives. Those are the children of God. For them, like Nancy, suffering has an end. It has an end. And the spectacular thing here that I'm so amazed at every time I read it is that this whole fallen, sinful, futile, corrupt, disaster-filled world is standing on tiptoe waiting for the glory of the children of God. <laughs> it's not the other way around. I used to think it was the other way around. Like the creation gets fixed and then we get fixed and go in. Yay. It's not like that. The center of the universe is the people of God under God, not the stuff. Listen to it again. 
the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's amazing. Just think of Nancy. She's one of those that the whole universe is preparing to be her eternal playground. Number three, the mystery of suffering. Do you remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament? One of the 12 sons of Jacob, the patriarchs of Israel, whose brothers were so jealous of him that they sold him into slavery. And things go from bad to worse for 13 years down, 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 until he ends up in Pharaoh's dungeon, accused of sexual assault against Potiphar's wife, which he did not commit. And then the tables turn. He interprets Pharaoh's dream. It comes true. He gets elevated to the second in authority in Egypt. For seven years of plenty, Joseph gathers everything into barns so that the seven bad years won't starve everybody. And nine years into that process, the brothers show up. Joseph was 17 when they sold him into slavery. He's now 39 years old, and they don't recognize him. And the question of the story, I think it's about the best story in the Bible. The question of the story is what will happen when he finds out? And when they find out, he found out. And what happens is the mystery of suffering. So here's what Joseph said. One in chapter 45 one in chapter 50, this is what he said when they are terror stricken that he has the power of the nations and he knows they're guilty. God sent me before you to preserve you a remnant on earth to keep you alive for many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Genesis 50, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Now here's the mystery. It doesn't say you meant evil God used it for good. That's not what it says. It says, you meant evil and God meant good. The mystery of suffering is that in and through 
the action of humans, God is acting in and through their intentions. God is intending and God is infinitely holy and just and good and wise and he is never sinning in working through the sins of man. That's the mystery of suffering. When men cause suffering. The death of suffering, number four, the death of suffering. How is it that God, who justly punishes God belittling sin, can suspend that, judge, that judgment or that justice and vindicate, justify, forgive sinners? so that they have an everlasting future of happiness without any pain. How can that be? That was the Apostle Paul's biggest theological problem. The answer is that the suffering of God's children dies in the suffering of God's Son. In his suffering, Christ bore our suffering. Christ bore our punishment. 700 years before Jesus, this is what the prophet Isaiah said, interpreting the death of Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on Jesus the mystery, the iniquity of us all. Nancy's suffering decisively died on the cross of Christ. She didn't experience it and we won't experience it, this death of suffering we won't experience it in this age. Only in the resurrection does it come to its final climax. But it was purchased and secured by the substitution of Jesus to bear our God belittling sin so that now God didn't give up justice. He satisfied justice. Finally, the final hours of Nancy's suffering. I wasn't there, but I know a little bit of final hours of suffering. I've been with numerous dying people. Here's one of the most difficult, practical, personal, pastoral questions that arise when a saint, a Christian, is suffering right to the end, no let up. The question is, isn't that utterly meaningless? I mean, what's the point? Because there's no time left in this world to benefit from it. 
I mean, most of the times we try to make sense out of suffering by saying it does something to us that makes us deeper or richer or stronger or something, and there's no time. She's going to die in five minutes. Let up. Why? Is that utterly pointless? Does God have anything to say about that moment? I remember a young mom in our church. I can picture her on that screen on a Wednesday night with the bandana because she was bald from cancer treatments. And she was telling the church, hang on, trust God, I'll see you in heaven. And she died and the death was horrible. And I thought, that's one of the most godly young women I know, and the death was one of the worst I've ever seen. Does God have anything to say about that? The last hours, the last minutes? And the answer is he does. And I ask that we would print it on the bulletin so you can read it with me and maybe take it home and think about it. It's on the front under her picture. This is 2 Corinthians 4. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction. Now, let's stop there for a minute. When Paul said this light momentary affliction, he meant a lifetime of suffering. That was the light momentary. This age is a vapor's breath. He didn't mean like he's just referring to a half an hour struggle that he had. This life, light momentary affliction is preparing. That's the key word. Preparing. I'll come back to it. For us, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the Things that are unseen are eternal. So, Bob, if you, and I don't need to tell you this, if you look to the things that are seen, her suffering was pointless and meaningless. But if you don't just look to the things that are seen, but look through this text to the reality what we perceive when we look at the final hours of a saint's suffering is verse 17, the one that has the word prepare in it. For this light momentary affliction is preparing. It doesn't say, notice, is followed by. That's true. And that would be good news. It's better than that. It says that the, the affliction is preparing. Now indulge me in a little Greek. Katergodzomai, the Greek word for prepare, means produce, bring about. That's what it means. And prepare is a good translation. Those last hours and minutes are not meaningless. They are preparing. They are enlarging her experience of the glory 
to come. A weight of glory is getting heavier precisely because of what she has endured. It wasn't wasted, Bob. None of it was wasted. A lifetime was not wasted. And you were a big part of that. And I thank God that you thank God that he gave you to her because not many could have been as faithful as you. I always have taken heart and been encouraged to be patient because of watching you love your wife. So we should say with the apostle, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. So Father, I pray that all of us in this room would be those for whom it can be said, there's an end to our suffering. Grant that we would be children of God. Grant that we would embrace Jesus as our savior and redeemer and the treasure of our lives. Do this mighty work in all of us and grant that you would enlarge our imaginations biblically to see what's coming. I this in Jesus' name.